Psychology in Seattle. So, Umberto, I thought I would pose a bunch of questions that the patrons have sent in to us, and we would answer them because I, I like to cross these sorts of things off my list. What do you say, Umberto? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Umberto? Uh, my name is Umberto Castaneda, and I am a professional kitty impersonator. So let's talk about pyromania. Josh in uh, OKC, Oklahoma City, says, would you be willing to talk about the psychology of arson, pyromania, and what I have and what I have heard referred to as psychosexual component of arsonism? Whoa. Uh, okay, so let's talk about arson uh, very briefly, pyromania. Uh, what is it associated with, do you think? Well, first of all, I got to say that the whole thing about arson, like pyromania, baffles, baffles me. It's from the time I was a kid, and I remember hearing about it, like, oh, that's such and such as an arsonist or thing. I, it never computed. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, they want to light a fire and burn things? That's so dangerous. Like, that's that destroys stuff. Like... Why would someone want to do that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I well, never understood it. Why do kids like to knock things over? Because it's fun. Right. <laughs> no, I know. But there was something about fire that I found so, like, well, no, you don't, you don't do that. Like, that's, that's crazy. Like, what? Yeah. And, and even to now, to this day, uh, because other things I can relate to or empathize with, like, even horrible things. Like, for example, if someone's like, um, I, I like raping people. I'm like, well, okay. Certainly can't imagine doing that. But I see where you're coming from in this horrible way. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wait. Uh, you can see where rape comes from more easily than arson. Yes, that's what I'm... I'm not saying it's rational. I'm just saying, like, uh, you know, I guess in the sense that, like, well... People like to have sex. Maybe you are not getting enough sex and you're a, a, a psychopath and don't care about people. And now you're just going to force yourself on someone. What I don't get about fire is like, well, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, we only need a fire if it's like we're in living in the savannah and we need like to heat our food and stuff. Uh, I like, see. Why are you lighting a fire? To you, it's like if someone compulsively made pancakes all over the city. Yes, exactly. It's like, okay, sure, you need pancakes, but why what would compel you to do it all over all over the city? Yeah, or even worse, like I love drinking drain. Well, no, even that cuz you got to drink water or something. It, it it's yeah, it I don't know. There's no good explanation, but I I like I, to uh, stick pencils in my head. Yeah. Uh compulsively. <laughs> um so what do you think it's associated with in terms of like other uh, measurable things. Hmm. What do you think it's associated with? Uh, okay, well, sadism. Uh, I don't know. But, okay. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, so it, I'll give you that one. So it's associated with personality disorders and sadism sure. is a personality disorder. Um, these these people often commit other types of crimes um, and arson being one. Anyway. I think, I don't know how to categorize Having it. Having said that, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows that whenever I talk about personality disorders, it's a complicated thing, and that I have a very uh, sympathetic understanding of 
of personality disorders. Um, I'm on, I'm mildly on the narcissistic spectrum. Uh, so I'm not, this isn't to say that people with personality disorders are criminals. That's ridiculous. But when you have a personality disorder like sadism or yeah. a personality disorder like psychopathy, antisocial, then, you know, you're, yeah. you're more likely, it's a, it's a risk factor for being an arsonist. Right. Okay, so for me, uh, another thing that comes to mind is certainly fire can be a spectacle, you know. So I don't know how, what the term is or what the categorization would be, but uh, the, these people might literally enjoy the sort of the spectacle and the power of fire, the power of fire to be bright and hot and to burn down even large structures. Maybe there's something there that is actually really... Uh, like the equivalent of me watching a great movie or me eating a really great meal that triggers some pleasure in their brain um, because of it. And I, I don't know what that is, but... Yeah, maybe I'm asking the wrong question. And I'll just rattle through these. So yeah. it's associated with psychosis. So people who suffer really? from psychosis... Well, are, I would have never thought that. Are, most psychotic people aren't uh, fire starters, but um, of fire starters and arsonists... Uh, there's a higher rate of them wow. being psychotic. Okay, that's that's fascinating. Well, yeah, I mean, if you believe that the FBI is reading your thoughts and that the next door neighbor is the FBI, then you're like, well, I'm going to burn their house down. Okay, see, that's that's something I hadn't even thought about because I usually, and maybe this is why it's been so foreign to me because in my head it's just someone going, ooh, I would really like to see that fence burning. Well, some people, so some right? people are that way. So then to me, it's like not a psychotic thing. It's just like, I just love that. Ooh, look at that. How hot and bright. And ooh, I can even see some blue flames. It's getting so hot. Oh. Yeah. I mean, to an arsonist, you're turning them on right now. Yeah. Like it, it's, a, it's a thing. They Not only the, all that, but the ritual of it. Right. The destruction of it. The secretiveness of it. The, um, the finality of it. You know? Maybe it's also because they can do this little action that can result in such a large yeah. effect. I mean, have you ever lit a bonfire or a, yeah. do you get any kind of pleasure out of it? No. I do. I, I get pleasure out of lighting sparklers during Christmas time in Colombia when I was a kid. Okay, so that's similar. And burning newspapers on the street. Uh, okay. Large quantities of newspapers. You did? Yeah. Okay. We would pile up a year's worth of newspapers. So how on come the you're burying the lead, man? Like, <laughs> wait. So you can't you can't relate, but man, the, your face lit up. <laughs> yeah, dude. Figuratively and oh, literally, we would put we'd buy all these sparkler boxes, and then we'd make this huge mountain of newspapers, and we'd bury sparkler boxes in the newspapers, and then take out a whole bunch of other sparklers and put them all around, and then we'd light the sparklers, and then we'd start lighting the whole thing up, and it was this huge cloud of smoke and fire and sparkliness and yeah. little pops and oh. Yeah, I think you get it now. I do get it. But I... I, what uh, I wait, <laughs> I saw where you grew up. Yeah. Right there on the sidewalk? On the street. In the middle of the street. Like... Not the sidewalk, the middle of the road. What about cars? They were okay with it. So, just to give people a... a it was like 2 a.m. in the morning at the time. <laughs> well, it's even worse. But to give people sort of an idea, this is a, a very urban street. Think, a, think Manhattan kind of thing, where you have... 
a bunch of apartment buildings and houses that are, you know, there's no space. There's no space in between. Right. No and yards. You, you, no yards. And you just have the sidewalk and then the street and cars and you know, people right. walking around. And you just started a giant fire, like, in the middle of the street. Every year at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> at mid, like, after, after midnight, because at midnight we get our toys and stuff. So, like, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in the morning, we'd be doing this. You got your... Uh, you got your... Uh, Christmas Eve? Yeah, yeah, at midnight of the 24th. Oh, okay. So it's, it's, and the reason is because baby Jesus would come and drop them off under our pillows at midnight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny how kids stay up so late. Because we would eat dinner like at 9 p.m. or something. But when you're six, man, you conk out, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, Usually. Um, also, mental retardation is associated with pyromania. Uh, again, most people who have developmental disabilities are not. Now I don't feel so bad. So I was about to say earlier, but I censored myself. I'm like, I wonder if low IQ plays a role here. Yeah. <laughs> because like, oh, shiny, bright. I mean, again, the vast majority of people who have low IQ aren't. No, uh, no, 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 of course but, not. But, but if you are a pyromaniac yeah. and you are someone who likes to light fires, you are more likely to have lower IQ. Also, alcoholism. In fact, 68% of arsonists were under the alcohol, were under alcohol intoxication during the crime. Hmm. I mean, think about that. Two th- wow. <laughs> two, thirds, two thirds of arsonists are drunk while they are setting the fire. Yikes. That's interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, Recidivism rate. So after they've been caught, convicted, they do their time, uh, How? what percentage commit another arson? Oh, yeah, I'd go 60%. Uh, it's anywhere between 4% oh. and 60%. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so well, you got it right. But why is it such a range? Because it's hard to... No, because <laughs> they I'm might conf- they might get away with it. Okay, but I'm just confused why they know that it's no lower than four <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, and it's no higher than sixty yeah. percent. Uh, and multiple <laughs> studies will look at the same okay. situation. But yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where it depends on how you define recidivism. Blah blah. Um, risk factors are uh, so. If you're looking for signs mm-hmm. of someone, say a teenager who might develop into an arsonist, uh, what kinds of signs might you look for? Uh, burnt grass from uh, fireworks. Uh, uh, burnt like no, stove. No, be in behavior, not in. Oh, not I see. In, like, <laughs> not. So. But I, I guess I meant they they caused it. You know, like they caused small little right. So fires. Yeah, like the number one risk factor is deliberate and purposeful yeah. fire setting on more than one occasion. Like, for example, my brother, when we were... Young, In other I, words, actually, to find an arsonist, you have to look for arson behaviors. <laughs> yeah, right. When I was not living yet in the States, but my brother was uh, probably eight or something, uh, he was lighting fireworks one time from uh, my mom's house, and one of them shot across to the lawn on the, on the neighbor across the street's house, and it, it lit fire. It must have been really dry or something. It just caught fire. Firemen had to come and everything. It burnt like a huge patch of their grass. And like it sounds like the, my brother had to be like interviewed and a whole bunch of stuff had to happen cause to make sure he wasn't like hadn't done it on purpose and that he wasn't an arsonist or something. Uh, but, you know, so if he had done that, 
And then maybe another day the oven is left on and the fire alarm goes off or something. We have to like use the fire extinguisher. Right. And maybe another time he threatened a kid at, at the camp with the little flamey yeah. part of a marshmallow. Right. And, or you find lighters in his, yeah. in his room. Um, I love yeah. how I'm throwing my brother under the bus. Only one of those things happened. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of a story of my cousin. He was uh, to in the summertime, you know, probably in the heat of summer, and he's supposed to mow the lawn. And he and he has it's not a huge lawn, but there's a big ditch in the you know between the lawn and the and the road. Okay, that uh, was really hard to weed whack and stuff. Right? Oh, sure. And so he has this idea of he's going to burn it. So he gets gasoline from the garage and uh, douses it and then lights it on fire and it explodes in his face oh. and burns his eyebrows off and like some of his hair. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> and he's by himself. And, and he, so he, 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 he like, I don't know what degree burn he had on his face. Yeah. But he gets a, a cold rag and puts it on his face and he's laying on the couch and you know his his parents come home. They're like, "What are you doing on the couch?" He's like, uh, "I was I, I tried to I tried to burn the lawn instead of mow it." <laughs> oh my god! You know he's he's probably like uh-huh. ten or something. Uh, it's just funny, like in the seventies, that you just leave kids alone and they, <laughs> they would do shit like that. Uh, number two is tension or effective arousal before the act. So, mm. um, so it's it's you, for example, when you lit those fires. You got some pleasure out of it. You're like, yeah, yay, we got it. I loved it. But uh, generally speaking, whenever you lit a fire, like even if it was just for some uh, practical reason, like a like a bonfire at a campsite or something, if you got the kind of you know like anticipation that you that one gets before something really fun that's about to happen, that is the sign of maybe someone who's going to develop into right. you know, a compulsive fire starter. Uh, three is a fascination with interest in curiosity about our attention to fire and its situational context, like uh, paraphernalia of fire, the uses of fire, the consequences of fire. So people that are, you know, real focused on that. Like, mm. I love the way that ash right. looks after it's, you know. Or those little automatic lighters, like the little gas-powered lighters. Right. Or, it's like, I love the way that, yeah, the flame looks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four is a pleasure, gratification, or relief when setting fires or when witnessing or participating in its aftermath. Um, and then fire setting um, is not done for monetary gain. So is there no correlation between... Uh, you know, being a gifted child. Sorry, those aren't risk factors. Those are the DSM criteria. I oh, think. DSM criteria. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I just read to you the DSM criteria. Okay. Uh, not not the not risk, the risk factors. factors yet. Okay. So, so if so, I just have to <laughs> set the record straight. So, if you deliver, if someone deliberately, you know, purposely sets fires, I don't know if this is DSM. These are my notes. Um, and you have tension or effective arousal before they act. If you're fascinated with fire, right. if you get a lot of pleasure from fire, and, is, none, and none of the fire is done for monetary gain. So this then, is how to diagnose it, not how to detect if it's right, going right, to right, happen. Right, right, right. Um, Sometimes my notes get a little wonky. And, so is one of the, of the warning signals if a child is particularly gifted? I don't know. It didn't say that. Well, because I thought prodigies. Fire starter? Yeah. Wow. I am your fire starter. 
Uh, anonymous patron, she writes, Hey, Kirk and Umbero. This is a long one, so settle in, because I think it's important to read Ooh. the whole email. Uh, she says, I listened to the July 24th episode that included a part on making friends. It stuck out to me that you normalized how folks don't need to have friends if they don't want them. I was hoping to get your thoughts on my current situation. Being a therapist takes a toll on my emotional and psychological resources. I feel healthiest when I can be on my own for at least a day a week. Ideally, this day is spent mostly in bed with a book and on YouTube. Sometimes I can make this work and sometimes I cannot due to Aaron's meetings and current friendships. Besides having a loving partner, I have nine friends. As an introvert, it is difficult for me to keep up with these friendships. I have noticed a pattern that I would like to find ways to stop. I meet a new person. We have a good conversation. They ask me for my number or to friend me on Facebook. And I agree, even though I don't want that interaction to go any further because I have enough friends. They ask to hang out and I automatically say yes and offer my availability. Immediately after responding in a positive way, I wish I could take it back. Hmm. I have I have not learned language for expressing Thanks for the nice interaction. I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> oh, wow. I sense it has something to do with how women are socialized to be accommodating and warm. I have observed how Kirk Umberto and my partner in social situations and admire them for how you all can uh, balance being warm and good conversationalists with, with, not having to def- with not having diffuse social boundaries. Does that make sense? I want to carry myself like that. I am finding it even more difficult to stop this friend-making process after a new acquaintance was quite recently brutally assaulted and says that I'm the only one who is giving them the non-judgmental space that they need to process it. When when this person texts me, even even before the assault, I I felt a low-level dread reaction in my body. I have already expressed to them that I have a job that causes me to retreat socially most evenings, but I do not, and uh, that I do not respond to text promptly, something my friends tease me about often, and that I sometimes distance myself from everyone except my partner for long stretches of time. How do I stop giving off a make friends with me energy? Uh, do you have any ideas for how to communicate that I am not open to making new friends or ideas for how to end the new relationship I have just created? Berto, what do you think? Wow. it's a lot to uh, dig into. So on the one hand, I can relate because when I was younger, uh, and I don't mean a kid, I mean just younger as an adult, let alone as a kid, uh, I used to feel like if I had a good interaction with someone, I probably need to follow up with them and I need to get their information. We need to exchange contact info, these kinds of things. Um, and it was just kind of like this feeling of like, yeah, well, I mean, we just got along great. Like, we probably should be friends. And then uh, throughout the years, uh, I started realizing, I think this is not uncommon that this happens to people as they get older. I started realizing a combination of things. One, there's a lot of people I can't get along with or, you know, they don't want to get along with me. And that's fine with me because it's like, okay, I guess I shouldn't be friends with everyone. Number one. Number two, I don't have unlimited time. And if you actually want to have a friend, you got to like have some time for them, you know. Um, number three, I tended to gravitate towards uh, unhealthy friendships quite often, you know. Um, and then lastly... My, I, I, I think I had this anxiety about like, 
well, what, what, like relating to what she's saying, like, what am I going to do if we're having a great time and I don't follow up socially? Does that make me a bad person? Am I being rude? What's happening? And then I think what's just, you know, over the years, I just started being like, out of necessity, like, oh, I just, I literally have no time to interact with this person. Uh, I started feeling less bad about it. Uh, another thing that helped me, ironically, was Facebook because, you know, I, I have probably, I don't know, 800 quote unquote friends on Facebook. And I interact only with maybe 20 of them on a regular basis. And I'm okay. You know, I've learned to be okay that. Every blue moon, I'll see a message from one of them or see a post. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this person still exists. Right. And I might like it or might say, hey, how's it going? But I'm starting to feel less and less compelled to have to see them, have to make plans, have to do How stuff. did you make that transition? Uh, like I said, part of it was uh, re- uh, like running into situations where me making plans to see someone. Yeah, but she's running into that. Like, how did you? Oh, I see. Because like, you know, you she, she's having a hard time for whatever reason, not giving off the energy that she is open to friends, and also, she, I guess she feels really guilty. So yeah. How, how did you get over the guilt? Oh, I see the guilt. Well, um, the guilt was sort of. Uh, it, yeah, that's the one that it, I don't it, have it, a method. There's guilt of just like, I'm pretty sure this person wants to hang out a lot. Yeah. And I don't want to because I don't have the time. Yeah. And if I, if I reject them even subtly, yeah. then I'm, I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to hurt their feelings. Right. Uh, okay. So I, I don't know how to get rid of the guilt, but I know what technique I've used more and more, which I used to see people use all the time and I didn't catch on. The technique is have your own plans already. But still, like, how did you get over the guilt? Like, well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if I'll ever get out over the guilt. Oh. But I, it doesn't matter because I just use the technique of, oh, yeah, un, yeah, like, you know what? I'm traveling for work this week. Next weekend, I've got a thing. Um, maybe in the fall or something like that. But, you know? but I, I, I don't have an answer. Like yeah. I'm saying, oh. I don't know how to get rid of the guilt. Okay. I still feel guilt pangs, but mostly it doesn't matter. Like, I have no choice. If yeah. I wanted to hang out with yeah. all the people, I couldn't. Right. So I think that's one technique, so to speak, for her that we can give her is to say, uh, at some point, you can just sort of tell, tell yourself you don't have a choice. It's sort of like, you know, I I feel guilty <clears throat> that I can't <clears throat> that I can't um, address everyone's emails yeah. on the air. <clears throat> there's a, there's a part of me that actually feels guilty about that. But at the same time, I say to myself, well, it's just not humanly possible to do that. You yeah. know? I, I, I couldn't do that. So I think that's one way to combat the guilt is just like to say – but for some people, they don't actually have that. They're, they're so guilty yeah. that they'll say, well, I just have to make this work. You know? And I think that she is one of those people. Well, one example from a different facet of life is uh, for most of my life, when I would see or you know, see an attractive female – uh, especially if it was someone that's, that, that seemed to have a, a relatable personality or maybe I would have an interaction with them or something, I would instantly start wanting a relationship with that person. And like, oh, and my mind would, it, without me trying, my mind would just like, oh, how could I like ask this person out? Even when I was already in a relationship and even to the extent where like I might have five minutes prior had the same feeling about it, someone completely different 
And now I was having this feeling about this new person. And it was sort of a compulsion in a way. And I could, in fact, see how someone with even more unhealthy tendencies would turn that into really unhealthy compulsions. Like, I'm going to follow this person, stalk this person, whatever, stuff like that. Luckily for me, it never went anywhere like that. But what I will say is, over the years, I started having to have these little conversations with myself going, okay, well, you're into but listen, you're going to be into a lot of people throughout your life. You're going to see people that are interesting. You realize, like, you're not going to be able to be with everyone. Like, you're not going to be able to have relationships with everyone. You're not going to be able to, like, it's just, fit. like you're saying, it's physically impossible. Um, it's, you know, like, it, some qu- conversations easier than others. Like, hey, this is an actress in a movie you're watching. Like, you're not going to meet her too much. Like, it's just, you got to calm down. And I kept having to have these conversations. So nowadays what happens is I'll be walking down the street and I'll see a, uh, a really pretty lady and uh, part of me will think what well, it would be like to take her out take her to a movie and whatever and then the other part you know where I'm going with this but I'm not going to finish the quote if anyone knows what the quote would have been finished like they know how I've pulled this quote in this podcast before and Kirk has been just as horrified as he would have been if I had pulled the quote but uh, anyways I digress but what I really think is I think to myself hey she's really cute she's really pretty I bet she, she's great um, and that's great and then I, like, move on. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that you could do similar things with these friendship uh, tent- temptations. Right. Which is, oh, we had a great interaction. That's a great interaction. And I, do it. But I think the key is, is that what you're describing is you're the motivator, and what she's describing is other people are the motivator. Uh, sure. But, she's being pressured by people. Right, but she's mostly trying to see how she can, A, avoid it, and B, get over the guilt. And what I'm trying to suggest is that internal self-conversations were the way that I've been able to get over compulsions and things like that. Yeah. So maybe she has to have these self-conversations where like, and it sounds trivial, like, yeah, I know, I get it. Well, just have the conversation in your head. Have it over and over where you're like, that was a great interaction. Yeah. And it's okay that it's not going to go further. And it's okay that they wanted to and that I'm going to let them down. And it's okay that they, that they, that I feel guilty or whatever. I think if it was that easy, she would have done it. I, um, I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah. But, but I, I, and I'm not. I'm saying you're right. Yeah. But I'm just saying that um, uh, I have a I have a different kind of answer because I've talked with people like this before and have had similar kinds of thoughts. It's like, well, why don't why don't you just stop doing it? But I think for some people, it, it there's it's they've tried and they've tried to do the self talk mm-hmm. and they've tried to limit themselves and so um, let me kind of go through this email a little bit. So you ask like you know about. I, how do I give off this, you know, what's, what is it about me that makes me give off this make friends with me energy? And I've definitely met people like her before. And the qualities of people like this are, there's two different um, profiles that I've seen. One is, is that they're very warm. They make lots of eye contact. Uh, they're very good listeners. They're very accommodating. They have a good sense of humor. And they're just so inviting to, and they're so intensely, you know, listening to. They're such good listeners right. that other people are just like, "Oh my God, I want to be friends with you." Right. right, right. Um, so there's that kind of, and and those kinds of people, uh, for whatever reason, their family or their personality, that's just how they are, and they don't notice that that's how they, they don't notice that they're different than other people. They don't. They 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 just think like, well, isn't everyone a good listener? And it's like, no, you're like top 1% listener (laughs) and everyone who meets you is going to be with you. The other profile that I've seen is someone that gives off a very um, fun uh, vibe. 
someone who is uh, seems kind of above it all and someone who, when they walk into the room, they just sort of light up the room. And they, right. they just seem like wherever that person goes, they're having fun. I want to be friends with that person. Um, I think her, the person who's emailing us, is the first profile, just someone who's a very good sure. listener. Um, and the the thing is, is you shouldn't have to change that about yourself. And I, I don't I don't think I would want someone to change that. You know that the prospect is like, well, I guess I'll just become a bad listener. <laughs> but I, you know, I don't think you have to change that. So let's look at some, let's look at some other uh, things to do. One thing is to tell yourself, look. Uh, I don't have time. But another thing, sort of an extreme way of looking at that is like, you only live once. You have, you can actually type in your uh, expected death date into the internet and figure out how many days you have left on the planet, how many hours you have left on the planet. Um, Do you want to be spending, do you want to be wasting that time (laughs) with people that you don't really, you don't really want to be friends with? Like, uh, which leads me to the next thing that I think in it that is I think really necessary in addition to what you're saying, Alberto, is you got to get angry. And I think a lot of these people who have diffuse boundaries they don't get angry enough. Mm. They don't because anger is an indication of my needs aren't being met. Someone just took my wallet. I'm angry because they took my wallet. They they're taking something from me. Someone is occupying my time. Like. When I'm at work or in other social situations and you run into those people who just talk and talk and they never – they just ramble from topic to topic and they never really want to hear your opinion and they'll never stop talking. Yep. And uh, so for me, like I get – in my head, I'm getting pissed. I don't look at them as like, well, they just have a lot of things to say. I'm just like, fuck you for not – pausing for me fuck you for not recognizing the fact that i'm completely glazed over and i'm slowly backing out of your office fuck you for doing this to me and everyone else that you're doing this to (laughs) and fuck you if i'm gonna accommodate this bullshit and waste my time so because that's that's rational like now the person doing it they're not doing it on purpose there's something sort of different about them but fuck this situation you know if if uh, in the same way that if I'm at a stop sign and there's a car in front of me and the car doesn't go, you get pissed. You're like, get get a fucking move on. You right. know, like it, it, it's an indication of this other person is is doing something either negligent or on purpose to ruin my life. Right, right. And so when you have people who are clamoring to be your friend now, you can't be mad at them per se. But you can get mad at like, I'm not going to let this happen. The right. line ends here. You know, this is where I cannot go beyond because uh, I, I'll be damned if I'm going to let this personality quality of mine that seems to attract so many people to ruin my life. I'm not going to, you know, like another example that I'll give is I, I really love my sleep. Right. Um, as everyone should. And uh, I also love my pets. I love my dogs. I love my cats. And a lot of times they want to sleep in bed with me mm-hmm. and my wife. They want to, they, if they had it their way, they'd all be in bed with us. But I'll be damned if I'm going to let, them, because when they sleep and the, they move around, they make noises uh, and they wake me up. And I'll be damned if I'm going to let my animals ruin 
you know, my sleep, one, to ruin my health, ruin my mood, uh, take 10 years off of my lifespan. Right. You know, I'll be damned if I'm going to let those, those fucking animals ruin my life. Now, because I give them food, I give them shelter, I love them, I'm always there for them, I care about them. But again, I'll be damned if I'm going to let them ruin my life. And so getting angry, you know, if you're trying to access uh, an anonymous patron, the road to pushing back on things that are infringing on your life, anger is the key. And a lot of people who get into situations like this because of their upbringing have had their anger completely eliminated from their expression possibilities. Does yeah. that make sense? That does make sense. Uh, there, there is a flip side to this and the previous point you made that occurred to me. So I actually used to struggle from the opposite side of uh, you only live once, which is a feeling of like, well, if I don't go along with this, I'm wasting opportunities in my life. Meaning, you know, the person, you get that message like, hey, uh, great time last weekend. So I'm going hiking this Sunday. Do you want to come along with? And I would get this feeling of like, oh, man, I guess I'm really going to have to because even though I don't want to, because, you know, I'd be missing out. So it's a combination of FOMO. It's a combination of YOLO, YOLO, <laughs> all these acronyms. And, and, and over the years, again, I had to start being okay with saying no from a perspective of I'm not going to live to the fullest in that case. Now, granted, you can look at it from both sides. Instead of doing that, I did something I cared more about, right? So you're still actually eating from the same fruit. But I had the problem of feeling like, Oh shoot! I guess I should go to that party because otherwise I, I don't blah blah blah, and so, I had to start saying no. It's okay. I'm I'm fine. I'm good. So just some practical things that you can do that uh, that I do, which is one, just be unavailable. You know, it's hard to say no. It, it's hard to deny invitations, but it's a one. You might actually not want to go, but two, it's a and this is. The biggest point I want to make is that it's a matter of communicating because it's if we, you know, you suggested anonymous patron. It's like, I realize you want to you, you want to say something like, I realize you want to be my friend, but I don't want to be your friend. So you can re you can say that, you know, right. you can be like, you know what? I get the vibe that you're looking for me for support or to be a friend or something. And I'm honored by that. But, you know, I'm super strapped for time. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, although I think you and I would be good friends, I, I, I just can't add another friend to my life. I'm really sorry. So that would that's a perfectly viable thing to say, but that's a that's a big thing to say. Sure, um, that it, which is available to you, but you know, but most people, including myself, the the, the strategy I take is consistent communication around what I consider that person to be. You know, like. If they text me and they say, hey, let's hang out, and I text them right away, well, what does that say? That says that- You are available. I, and I care about them, and I want them to be in my life. Let's say they invite me to a thing, and I'm, and I'm like, um, yeah, I'll be there. Well, okay, well, what am I communicating? I'm communicating I want to be a friend. I want to yeah. be a- and, and this goes actually advice for the other side of the equation, which is some people have a hard time making friends, yeah. and yet they never reply to your texts. Right. Or they don't reply- for two weeks or they never come when you invite them to things. And it's just like, well, if you want to be friends, you got to show the fuck up or at least you got to say, I really want to be your friend. I'm sorry. I can't make that or something. So 
Um, so you communicate to people that way. You're just like, okay, I could reply to this text right now, and I feel guilty if I don't. But if I reply right away, you know, this actually applies um, to clinical work too. Uh, this is something I tell supervisees because, you know, we live in a world now where everyone is expected to be contacted immediately. Yeah. And I come from and a time, available immediately. Right. Yeah. Like we have bosses where it's just like, well, I'm going to text my employee yeah. and I'll be upset if they don't get right back to me. And it's like, you know, 730 on a Friday night when it's just like, fuck you. Like, yeah. I'll talk to you on Monday. So. Uh, young people today and younger therapists today, when they get a text or an email from their from their clients, they feel like this need to reply. And what I tell them is just like, well, what message are you telling your client? What you're telling your client is that you're basically available 24-7. Just, is that right. the message you want to give across? And it's like, no, because I don't, I'm not that kind of therapist. Well, then don't reply right away. Right. Uh, because if you do uh, reply right away, then... Uh, they text again. It's a chain, chain and, reaction. And, and, then, and then you're like, well, now I'm going to wait a week to reply because I don't want... It's like you, you got to be consistent in your yeah. in your approach to people. Uh, people will figure it out, you know? Um, now, to the clients out there who are like, wait, so, you know, therapists are playing games? No, the, the issue is that what I'm recommending is that uh, therapists know their competence, know their role, ex- explain that to clients. Like, I tell clients right from the start, I am not a crisis counselor. Right. So if you are in a crisis, do not call me because that's that's not my role in your life. I don't have the capacity or the sort of resources to like hop to to help you. So call the crisis line. Um, but what I am here for is one hour a week of therapy and I will be absolutely on time and I will be absolutely attentive right. during that during that hour. But outside of that hour, I, I'm not available. If you need to contact me, I might be able to get back to yeah, you. Yeah, it's like saying we sell coconut soup. We don't sell almonds. Exactly. So so when I explain that to people and then someone texts me, I could reply right back. Yeah. But I'm like, I sell coconut soup. I don't sell chicken right. noodle soup. So, so part of what you can do, Anonymous Patron, is that – uh, let's just say it's really hard for you in person to deny someone. So in person, someone's like, I want to be your friend. Let's hang out later. And in person, you're like, ah, okay. And then later on, you're like, I wish I hadn't done that. Well, the first time they text you, just wait a while to text them back. Right. You know, just, or maybe never text them back. Yeah. You know, just be like, nah, they'll get the picture. So this goes along with what I was saying, which is that uh, have plans of your own. This is what I, what I was saying earlier is that. But are you saying lie about having plans of your own? You can if you want, but you have to have plans of your own. What I mean by that is... I'm going to stay home tomorrow It's going to be a lot harder for you to say no to requests if you haven't already figured out how to do it. If you're literally going to be home doing nothing. Because then that little voice might be like, But that's what she wants to do. She wants to stay home and do nothing. Is she being successful? What do you mean? She's not being successful at just doing nothing and saying no to people, right? I don't know what you're asking. Well, uh, if if she weren't if she were being successful, she wouldn't have written this, right? I, I think we're miscommunicating. My point is that she wants to be at home alone by herself. Fine. Yeah. But she doesn't want to make plans with but, other people. Fine. Be alone at home, busy with what you're doing. Yeah. Because like that can be I'm writing a book. And and now if it could I in theory I suppose it could be literally she wants to sit on a couch in a dark room well, in their house literally doing nothing yeah 
And that's going to be maybe a little harder for her because she's going to have to invent ways for that to be the thing that she mentally is okay with saying no to everything else about. But it's going to be a lot easier. What I'm trying to get at is it's trivial for me nowadays to say no so often because I literally am busy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't even know how I could possibly do such a hike because I'm going to be in L.A. next week. But I th- and, and, and then that- next weekend, I have like 6,000 things that I'm behind. I'm like, and so, and, and you I know. think that works for your lifestyle. I, I don't know if it works for her because what she's talking about, she, she she's not talking about having kids and like a lot of obligations. She's talking about she literally just wants to stay home more often. And but do, I, and I was nothing. sure. But then it might not work for her to not reply to a text because she's sitting at home and the texts are coming in. She can not, absolutely not well, if she gets she angry. she could actually expect that she's busy with other things. Yeah. The last thing I'll say here is that, and this is probably the main thing that I'll say, is that uh, anonymous patron, you probably got to this zone because of uh, your upbringing. You were probably made to be the listener uh, at the expense of yourself. You were probably made to be the pleaser at the expense of yourself because of the way you were raised. And uh, there's a schema, because we've been talking about schema therapy a lot lately, where you probably feel like you must please others or else something really bad will happen. And healing from that schema is probably critical. You know, there's a lot of different things people can say. You know, when you observe other people and you're like, how do they actually just say no? How do they just draw a boundary? You know, what is, how come I have a hard time with this? And as I always say, there's no such thing as willpower in the way that people typically use it. And you can't willpower yourself to, to say no. Uh, what you, uh, the, the path to wellness is like, okay, well, what harm did I experience when I did try to assert myself growing up? What harm, what sort of trauma is left unprocessed uh, that I went through ongoing when I was growing up where pleasing others um, was necessary in that situation? And when you heal from that, you'll feel less compelled and you'll be less afraid and you'll be less locked in. Uh, Most of our maladaptive behaviors have to do with that. And so, um, again, just just looking at someone else and going like, how do I be like that is fine, but you might actually have to look inward and figure out how to heal from whatever it is that uh, caused you to be this way in the first place. All right, let's take a break. and we get back, let's answer some more questions. Um, what do you say, Berto? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. Please become a patron of the podcast. When you become a patron of the podcast, you get access to arguably our best episodes. Um, uh, and know that a portion of your pledge goes towards various charities that we support. We've given uh, over $10,000 to various different charities, including different scholarships and I don't know if we've talked about this with you and me on a regular podcast that we gave our most recent scholarship of $2,500 to Hannah Bronson right who was on I guess we I had her on the we, podcast so we yeah, talked you about had her on the podcast and we talked about before yeah, yeah. Um, so and our we're, we're trying to reach our next goal on patreon and if we get enough people to sign up on patreon we'll We'll give another $2,000 scholarship and $1,000 to PetFinder, which saves animals from being euthanized and connects them with loving homes, including, including the animals that I have. Um, so uh, it, 
Becoming a patron of the podcast is the main way that we understand that you like what we're doing. And two, it's a very practical reality that in order for us to spend time away from other things like work, uh, we have to uh, pay the bills and and being a patron and for all you lovely patrons who are patrons, uh, you're you're contributing to that. If we didn't have any patrons, we would probably only be able to do an episode like once every couple weeks, right. and I wouldn't really be able to prep for it, and it would just be you know kind of just like a lot of a. People out there who are listening to this, I'm sure you've at least dipped into other podcasts, if not listened and experimented. I, I love podcasts, so yeah. I've, I've experimented with a lot of podcasts. And the podcast producers who aren't making money, um, they go in two different directions. One, they either just sort of dive in and say, screw it, like I'm going to dedicate 20 hours a week on this on this hobby. Yeah. And they make a good podcast. Or two, which is a lot of podcasts, they just slowly gravitate towards the easiest way to do a podcast, which is just to turn on a mic and just start yammering into a microphone right. without any prep, without any thought to editing, without any thought to production. And those kinds of podcasts, which there are many, are not very listenable. And so in order to make this podcast listenable, uh, people have to become patrons is, is the thing. Because, again, it gives me and Umberto the time to prep for this and, and actually make it uh, useful, I think. Um, so please become a patron of the podcast. Uh, let's recap the 11th show. We haven't really – people have been asking, like, Kirk, Umberto. Let, let's totally do it. But first, I, I want to air a grievance. I feel like you, th- um, you set me up for failure in the previous segment. Because okay. so what happens is you you had read the email ahead of time and you had probably thought through what kind of advice you wanted to give and your advice was was solid. Um, what I thought you were doing is you were asking. Well, you brought it up and I actually have experienced similar things. So I was giving a perspective of like what my mental processes have been around these years, and it kept feeling like I was wrong about everything I was saying. And so I wanted to air this because I'd, I'm trying to do a thing where I don't hold on to things passive aggressively. Good, thank you. Uh, I apologize for that. It mm-hmm. wasn't my intention. Uh, I'm absolutely positive I must have come across that way because it's not the first time that I've done anything like this. Before. I feel so good right now, by the way. Like I'm, I'm so, like I'm just. Oh my god! It feels like I've just had an orgasm. An orgasm. I have like tears in my eyes. It's funny. No, this is something that is not at, at all to do with this specific instance. I don't do this enough. It's good. I don't tell people, hey, you know what? I didn't like what you just said. I didn't like what you and, and in a positive, you know, I'm not trying to like, and and then your reaction, which was awesome, made me feel validated. And now I have like little, I feels, I have feels. And I feel good too. All right. Because uh, I welcome stuff like this because I would hate to think that you would walk out of this house today. Right. With this sort of hanging over your head, right? Which, which uh, is again, uh, I do this all the time throughout my life. So, uh, as we've talked about on the podcast, I've been surprised sometimes when people are like, "Oh, Kirk wasn't listening," or whatever. Because usually, I I must suppress or not notice, or if I do notice, then I hang on to it under the covers, and not just with that. I'm just like I've made a decision that from now on, and I've been practicing recently is like with my various relationships is. Just, you know, say how you feel and it's great. And work through it. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you. Um I think one, I didn't understand what you're saying part of the time, which is just the thing. Um but two, um 
I guess I'll air a grievance as well, is sometimes I'm asking a question and you don't answer it. You, sure. you answer a question in your head, sure. um, which is normal for people to do. But, you know, I have an outline here and you're a riffer, you're an right. improv person. So you take a nugget and you kind of go with it. But there's a lot of times when, or not a lot of times, but sometimes, I think in this instance, where I'm on a direction, I'm trying to get to a place, I ask you a question, and then you, you don't really answer the question that I'm hoping you're going to answer. Um, it's p- quite possible I'm not a- asking the question. Oh, yeah, no, in, in this case, and, and, in this and case, my was... guess is, and it's not malicious, I think you think, um, oh, I bet you this is where he's headed, so I'm going right. to go along with it, and, and we're just not sinking in terms of like right. where I'm hoping you're going to go. There's definitely that, and also, I literally didn't have a simple solution for how not to feel guilty, right? So I was like, I, I don't know, right? But um, the specifics in this case... Which I say, which I, I want to say is fine. You right, know, right. It's, it's, the specifics in this case didn't really matter in the end because I am not... I wasn't, uh, I wasn't aggrieved about the instance. I was aggrieved just because I felt a certain way. And what usually happens is I feel a certain way and then I don't say or do anything about it. And then that feeling becomes something that it wasn't even to begin with, which is a little pebble of grit in my soul. Mm. And I'm like, well, that's pointless because this is nothing. This was literally nothing. So, And just by airing it and you say, oh, yeah, sorry about that. And by the way, I just thought that we had a misunderstanding because, great, it's over. I, I don't have a pebble of grit anymore and it's awesome. Uh, I will go beyond that and say that I probably do this a lot and uh, it's something that I know about me from various different um, uh, ways of knowing about oneself. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a good quality. There's other ways of saying, like I, I could have said something like, um, I, I totally understand what you're saying and you're right. I'm going to say something else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's, it's, shit got real here. We're getting real today. Real so, talk. So the 11th show recap, people have been asking us to recap yeah. it. Uh, what, what, looking back on, the, on, it was like oh my God. almost exactly a month ago. Oh. What do you think? It was an unforgettable experience. Uh, when you first approached me about doing something special this year, you were like, we should do a 24-hour podcast. And I knew instinctively even then, I was like, I don't know if I can survive literally physically 24 hours. But well, what um, do you think? Do you think we could have? Because we, 11 hours. Well, we could have certainly gone to 12 hours. <laughs> uh, maybe without the champagne, I, I could have gone a lot longer. You know. <laughs> All right. I I had a great time. It was a series of very interesting conversations. We got to touch on so many topics we love, and the interaction, the live interaction is what gave me most of the energy to keep going because it's like, oh, people care? Like, they're listening? Like, and that was amazing. Uh, I was ridiculously blown away and humbled that some people literally, like, stayed the whole time. Like, you stay for 11 hours. Like, you must really care or something. Yeah, I did not predict that. No. I thought that maybe some people would marathon through three or four hours. Right. But... All 11 hours. And some of these people were in other time zones that yeah. made it pretty rough yeah, for them. You absolutely. Know? Yeah. So that was amazing. And I, I think also, uh, I mean, I revealed a lot towards the last parts of that thing. But, um, but it, it also showcased some of the best of what we do and what we've 
become, I suppose, mm. in that... Because we were sort of meta-talking about the podcast. Meta-talking. And our relationship. And our relationship. I, when I told, I told a few people, I told people, yeah, we had an 11 anniversary. First of all, a lot of the people around in my life don't know that I do a podcast. And so when I tell them, like, yeah, it's been an 11-year anniversary, they're, they believe I'm lying. They're like, come on. I'm like, yeah, no, we've been there. And so then I'm like, we talked for 11 hours live. And they just couldn't conceptualize it. Like, yeah, what do you mean? Right, because <laughs> it it's something that, you know, I think you're like me is in that when I talk with people, you know, in my real life, I don't talk about my podcast. Right. Because I'd be horrified if they had the impression that somehow I wanted them to listen or right, something. Right, right. And I, I just don't bring it up. Um, and so uh, it doesn't surprise me that if you are the same way, that people would be surprised. Right. And because, and, you know, doing an 11-hour show for your 11th anniversary is a big enough thing that it just came up in conversation. It's like, well, what did you do recently? Well, actually, Saturday, I recorded an 11-hour live stream. But everyone I talked to was really confused. Like, well, what do you mean? What, what did you do for 11 hours? Well, we talked. Like, talked about what? Well, we had top 11 lists, and they're like, but that's, that's like, sounds like one hour worth of material. Like, how could you go for 11 hours? That must have been really boring. You know, like, probably. <laughs> so, if you want to listen to it, actually, you have to be a patron, and I chopped it up into actually 12 different episodes. And when you become a patron, you can listen to um, most of it. I cut I cut some parts out because there's a lot of moments where it was real slow, and so I just cut that out. Um, it's still pretty slow, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm surprised we made it. Uh, when I I'm a napper, mm. uh, like after you leave right. in, in a couple You're hours, take a little nap. <laughs> I'm gonna take a nap. I got the Husky game coming up later this afternoon, and so uh, I um, I nap probably at, for at least 20 minutes every day. Mm. Sometimes I'll nap for two hours. I love taking naps. I just, in in some ways, I kind of uh, my sleep schedule includes nap in it. You know, mm. like I'll I'll sleep for six hours and I'll be like, well, I'll just take a nap. It and I take naps. I take naps sometimes like ten thirty. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because it's just like okay, now it's time mm. for me, and then I feel great. You know, yeah. And so when we were doing the eleven hour thing, it was you know we're doing it from nine or eight nine to nine, nine, to, nine to eight nine to eight yeah. nine to eight yes and nine so. I was like, well, I'm going to have to take I, – I take naps. And, yeah. and if I don't – and it's the problem. If I don't take a nap, my brain turns off. Oh. Like I can't function. But the entire time, I was just so energized by the conversation. And again, yeah. all the people who were watching uh, the live stream, it, it just kept my adrenaline going, I guess. So I'm surprised we made it. And yeah. I'm also surprised that um, – we kept it together. Again, we added the champagne in the last hour, right. which, um, you know, I, I learned that years ago that just a drop of alcohol in my system <laughs> makes me a very bad podcaster. <laughs> um, it's kind of like a blur to me. The, like, cause you, you yeah. know, cause I, when I was talking, like, well, what did you do the whole time? I'm like, well, I kind of remember a couple moments, but because <laughs> I didn't have time to process what was happening, mm -hmm. you know? So it's sort of like a blur. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, I can't recount 11 hours worth. Right. But I can, because I knew the all the top 11 lists, I could go by topic and then remember little moments and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, just to be a little meta about this is that uh, you and I, to pat ourselves in the back a little bit, must have a skill to yammer about things that are interesting enough yeah. to have people listen. You know, 
if you if you give the average person like okay talk about your top 11 movies or something you know they'd rattle them off and it wouldn't be very interesting they might have a couple things to say but it wouldn't be very interesting there's either over time we've developed a skill yeah. or and or we're narcissistic enough that we've also developed a skill of wanting people to pay attention to us or yeah. something that we have a, a, a brain process a skill a a, a way of talking that makes it at least somewhat interesting to get into, you know, yeah, yeah. and plus well, our dynamic, you know, we, we know each other's sort of uh, buttons and our little right. sort of back and forth chemistry that, you know, I guess it makes it interesting anyway. Yeah, for me, the two factors. One is uh, as a kitty, a professional kitty impersonator, I don't get to talk human language a lot. So this gives me a chance. But the other factor is, I, I don't know if this happens to you, but, a lot of times I am at a table with people and uh, trying to be social, and a lot of people don't like talking. Right. And they, and, and they don't feel like they have topics. Or yeah. They, you uh, know? Uh, yeah. The easiest way to, the <laughs> easiest litmus test is to say, you know, like, what was the last movie you saw? Right. And they're like, oh, well, I saw, you know, Infinity War or something. And you're like, what would you think of it? Like, mm-hmm. to the people like you and me, we could talk for all days, for hours. <laughs> yeah. That one question, what do you think of Infinity War? We'd be like, oh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Where do I even da, 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 start? Da. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Iron Man, the, the whole thing. And like, or something that they just knew about. Yeah. Even if I didn't, even if I had no idea about the Marvel Universe, right. I would I, I would still have a shit ton to say. Yeah. Other people, you say, what's the last movie you saw? They say, oh, Infinity War. They'll be like, oh, I don't know. It was fine. Yeah. And, and then you're like, well, <laughs> what'd you think of it? You're like, well, what do you mean? Well, I mean... Like what more do you right, have to say? Right. Oh, um, I don't know. It's it fine. And I've so I, I I've <laughs> like often... <laughs> in their heart, yeah. In their heart is clearly not this compulsion, right? To yammer, totally. And you and I have a compulsion to yammer. And so I, I've often thought that well, it, it must be that. And, and Emily, I want to see that on a T-shirt. A, a compulsion to ja- to no, yammer. No, and that right. I a quote of uh, you and I have a compulsion to yammer. Yeah. So I've often thought that in those moments I've thought, well, you know what it is, is my interests don't overlap. I bet you if, if I found the right interest area, we would have a very lively conversation. That might be true in some cases, right? But not really, because I'll try another move, which is like, like, what did you do this weekend? Or what are you usually into? And still, it's like... Yeah. Nothing. Dryness. Right. Desert. Now, it doesn't mean they don't have a personality. No, it doesn't no, mean they're no. not interesting. It's a different style. Yeah, it's just it's just a different kind and of... And so, yeah. imagine... And, you know, we've had, at times, moments in the podcast when we had other people that were a little bit along that those lines. And it makes for really uninteresting moments, right? Because you're like, yeah. you know, so, you're a curator of gardens. Tell me, what's that like? Uh, you know, it's like anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it is one of the most frustrating things as a podcaster because I can't screen everybody. Right. And so I get a guest on the on the show and it's I throw to them and they don't have anything to say. Their it's, own balls. Like yeah. you you told me you wanted to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And then I uh, end up yeah. having to lead the whole conversation and what it looks like to anyone listening is like Kirk's not letting the person talk. Yeah. But if you were in the room you'd realize the person isn't saying anything right they're not they don't have any energy we had a we had a presentation a group presentation the other day at work as we had a set of kitty buyers and stuff and um it was about eight of us 
and we had prepared a little uh, a set of uh, how do you call it? It wasn't a digital slides. It was like uh, marker slides with with paper, right? And we were going around, each of us taking turns, reading like a little bullet point from the thing. So all you have to do, they're already written. You're not being asked to improvise. All you have to do is look at your bullet and read it out loud over a microphone. I go, the next person goes, and then it gets to this person, and it's just like that personality style. And they're like, oh, what do I do? It's like, oh, just just read the bullet. Oh, okay. And then it's like, like we have to... And then they finally read it in like this really, you can barely hear what they're saying. And I'm like, how is this so difficult? But it's just different personality styles. Yeah. Yeah. So next year we'll do 12 hours uh, next August 2020. Right. And uh, eventually I guess we'll get up to 24 hours as our metabolism (laughs) metabolism starts slowing down. Oh my God. We're going to need like infusions. Uh, And our, our thousandth episode is coming up. What? Yeah. Yeah. I keep saying that it's been like 700 episodes. <laughs> so it, we've, we'll, we'll reach a thousand. I, I did, I figured out the math and it's going to be around New Year's Eve. Oh, wow. So I, I don't know what to do. Maybe listeners can send in suggestions. Yeah. We got to do a special thousandth. Yeah. I mean, we just had a t- 11 hour thing for our 11th. Yeah. And we'll do a 12 hour thing for the 12th. So I don't know what to do for this thousandth, but I was thinking it would be more. Because, you know, a lot of podcasts, what they do when they reach these kind of milestones is they do kind of like a, a review of mm-hmm. a sort of meta talk about the podcast, like where we've been, where we're we'll going. we do a clip show. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of, I, I could, we could that do that. time where it was... <laughs> so actually, that's not a bad idea. Of just that's a like, sticky situation. <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, recording that kind of clip yeah. situation. So actually, that would be neat because imagine all the things that we've said that we've forgotten, that yeah. we've... You know, little moments that... The problem is, is someone, probably me, would have to, you know, scour through literally, you know, well, 2,000 hours of audio to figure out clips to... Well, or we could just each, literally each be like, hey, come up with... Because, you know, we don't have to fill 11 hours. Like, what if we each come up with like 10, you know, come up with... Go uh, go listen through us. Uh, come up with 10 moments you want to showcase. Okay. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's an idea. Yeah, that's an idea. Um, other things like uh, I don't know. I feel like doing a YouTube live event uh, would be kind of cool. Yeah, that sure, to go, certainly. Yeah, because then people Ooh, a can, thousandth episode as a live event. That's people fine. can join. Yeah. Another way we could do it would be like um, we could be mobile or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, going to different places we remember or something. I don't Ooh, know. We could be in a limo broadcasting front live from a limo. There you go. Uh, it's just in time for the new year. <laughs> um, I keep wanting to s- say this, and I said it during one of the live streams, but I want to say it on the podcast, is that, so I went to my 30th high school reunion, and I learned, so I, I went to school with Brian Yorkey. He was a good friend of mine growing up, and he he's the writer of the uh, 13 Reasons Why right. on Netflix. And when I first watched it, the first season, there's this jock Asian guy, and I when I watched it, I because now the it's based on a book, and Yorkie, my friend, adapted it to mm-hmm. the screen quite a bit, and I was and I was watching, and I was like, wait, is that Asian Jock me? Because mm-hmm. he's a tall Asian guy, football player, and I that was, uh, and I always say this is like if you weren't in my inner circle, um, at my high school, that's all you saw was right. like, oh, Kirk's he, he's captain of the football team. 
he walks around and he's a jock. That's all he does. Right. Um, and so uh, I was I wondered if Yorkie had written me into the and the the Asian jock is not a sympathetic character. He's he's not a, <laughs> he's not a great guy. And uh, and he kind of looks like me a little bit too. Anyway. Uh, but I found out that, and I, but I had resolved to, to say, there's no way. I mean, sure. that's narcissistic for me to even think that he right. would, you know, write me in. But apparently it's true that, <laughs> that Yorkie... Uh, narcissism, narcissism is validated. <laughs> yeah. That uh, Yorkie, he, uh, he didn't write me into the script like there was a character that does these things. Yeah. But... It, the race of the character wasn't uh, either it was flexible or something. And he was like, Yorkie was like, well, I'm going to make this guy Asian. And the, apparently the producers were like, well, that's why like that. Usually they're not Asians. Usually they're white guys. Right. Yep. And Yorkie was like, no, no, no. There, believe me, there are Asian jocks. Yeah. At uh, my school. I, but... I grew up with one. Yeah. This guy's going to be Asian. So if you watch 13 reasons, <laughs> um, Okay, uh, last little thing here. I hear a little cat in the background. Yeah. Uh, so let's answer one more question. Um, for anonymous patron, if you and Umberto were to be the main stars of a buddy sitcom, what would the name of the sit- sitcom be, <laughs> and what would the first episode be about? Dun, 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 dun. Uh, oh, a buddy sitcom. Okay, well, definitely would have to do something with psychology, and uh, I, I know what it is. So... I'm like this... doesn't have to be about psychology. Well, no, no, no. I'm this down-on-his-luck gumshoe. You know, I've been kicked out of the forest because I was a little too wild, a little too impulsive. So now I'm just like a, a private dick. You know, and I run around town, but I'm down on my luck. I'm kind of struggling to get good clients. And then all of a sudden, this thing lands on my plate that seems like a really interesting case but I'm at a loss and then uh, someone an old friend's like well you might want to consult with this one with this one shrink you know and I'm like oh I hate shrinks shrinks just like screw your mind man and then I meet you and you're like this like buttoned up professor and uh, and then you and me start this like love hate thing and then pretty soon it turns out that I can't solve cases without you and you can't develop your insights about humanity without my intuitions and we go and we have all these scenes where we're chasing bad guys and as we're chasing them you're like tell me about your mother (laughs) and we call it the shrink and the gumshoe (laughs) the shrink and the gumshoe the shrink shrink shoe shrink shoe gum 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 shrink Shrinky gum. I, I have some other uh, names here that I thought of. The Haffy and the Conquistador. <laughs> Wasabi and the Latino. <laughs> okay. Uh, salsa. Something with salsa. Like Wasabi salsa. <laughs> uh, Till podcast do us part. Oh. <laughs> because you deserve it. Because you deserve it. <laughs> or just simply Frasier. <laughs> uh, oh, was, this doesn't have to be a, a buddy cop. Right. Sitcom. Oh, I went straight to Buddy Cop. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I, I would be. Uh, uh, so some premises that I thought of was Umberto always loses his job and has to find a new one. What? That would be insane. Well, but that'd be a good, you know, fictional show. It'd be a good fictional show. Yeah. yeah. Um, or I came up with the idea. We caught we solve psychology related crimes That's in, right. in Seattle. Um, <laughs> or a show about we get trolled and then we hunt them down. Ooh, that'd be very satisfying. How about me. Psycho Hunters in Seattle? Yeah, uh, I guess we have time for another question here. Famous patron Lyndon says, "Is there any empirical support for?" Uh, maybe I should skip that one because we don't have time. 
Um, Birdo, he, so Famous Rachel Linden has a question for you. Birdo, can you tell me about a time a woman hit on you and it didn't, it didn't work out? Yeah, so I was like, I think in second grade, and I don't think I was doing anything wrong, and this little girl just hit my face and scratched it really bad, and it was so bad that I, I developed a little mole on that cheek. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't paying attention because I was <laughs> I was dealing with the notes. I, I'm guessing you just ended that as if you were joking. So I don't know. Well, so um, if, for the listeners out there, they know what has just transpired. But now I could answer the question for real and say, all right, um, yes. Uh, you, the question is when a, a woman hit on me and it didn't go well. Oh, I get you were making a joke of where she actually hit you. She actually hit me. Yeah, a woman hit on me and it didn't go well. That's the question, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, well, so uh, in high school, there was a gal that was really into me, and she asked me out to a dance. And it was one of those dances where the girls asked the, is it Tolo or something? Yeah, Tolo or Tolo. Um, Sadie Hawkins. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I liked her as a person. She was very nice. And uh, so I went. And I met her family. And the whole time, I'm thinking, oh, man, I don't. I don't want to be sending the wrong signals here. And, you know, the day after the dance, um, she she came to me and she she clearly wanted this to progress. And I just, basically, I was uh, non-responsive, you know, and it was clear to her that I was not interested and it was really, really awkward. <laughs> what about like at a bar, like someone walks up to you, hits on oh, you? Oh, well. And, it, and in that moment, it doesn't sure, go well. sure. That'd be hard to imagine, right? Because can you imagine me turning down someone just trying to hit on me at right. a bar? Yeah, even I mean, if turning you didn't, down even as if in you didn't like just them. playing along. Yeah, even if they. You I mean, know. you've seen I've 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 been sexually assaulted by someone licking my face once. Right. I was uh, in Vegas. I have that on video. Right. I was in Vegas a few years ago with a buddy, and uh, I was talking to. We were talking to some gal, and she just like kissed me, and. But I love the attention, so I guess I've never been hit on as an adult. <laughs> maybe that's and <laughs> maybe that's what FPL was trying to get to. He's just yeah. like, I bet. <laughs> he knows me too well. <laughs> All right, another question for both of us: What was something in the last few years that made you feel hip instead of the opposite? Oh, that I felt hip. That was made you something? feel I, well. Okay, I, I guess uh, this is. Silly, but uh, when we did our first live show, I actually felt a little hip. I was like, oh, I my insanity is a little hip to some people, you know? Yeah, actually, I, 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 that was notable to me, too, because, you know, when we do the podcast, yeah. we record it, we post it, and people comment. Um, and people will say, like, oh, I love Umberto, I, yeah, love, yeah. I love Kirk, you know, and you get it in the text form, and that, right. that's fine. But when we did our first live show a year and a half ago, um, you would say your dumb jokes. You, you made some good ones. <laughs> yeah. But some, not all your jokes are golden. No. <laughs> and your, your less than golden jokes. We're still hitting. We're still landing. They were landing. Yeah. The crowd was on the floor. That's crazy. And I was like, oh. So I pictured it like David Brent doing an inspirational talk, you know, yeah. from the British office where it's like, I'm running in and it's super awkward and then I say stuff and it's silence of the lambs and nope, it actually worked. So yeah. I felt kind of hip. Yeah, people, you had people on the palm of your hand. Like people were wrapped around your finger. What other kind of metaphor can I say? Uh, I mean, it, right. it was, it. they were 
on the edge of their seats waiting for you to say something. And, and that was, uh, yeah. So yeah, I, could so I see felt, that. I felt some hipness. Um, I gave up long ago around the age of 25 trying to be hip. Um, even I, to be square. I was, I was, I was, I would say that I was kind of hip in high school, kind of hip in college. I mean, you know, I, I tried to dress effectively, I guess, but since, and I remember at the age of maybe even like 23, I went to the mall and I remember just going like, oh my God, I am like so out of touch. <laughs> like I, I, you, you just don't know how out of touch you are. And, and, and maybe malls today aren't really the same, but malls back then, it was like the, all the hippest, coolest people would go to the mall, you know, like today hipsters yeah. would never go to the mall, you know what I mean? But, but I, I just felt completely out of touch. And I remember right then and there uh, grieving that and saying to myself, oh, I've I've now crossed the line. Because <laughs> I, I, I remember being 16 yeah. and looking at even people that were in their 20s, but particularly people in their 40s, and, and just being like, oh, my God. Geezers. Those, those, Squares. Pa- those pants, that haircut. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And I, I realized at the age of 23, like, oh, I'm, I'm... I'm that people. Yeah. And there's no going back <laughs> because I would have to pay attention yeah, to right. things that I don't care about anymore. I will say, though, when I saw you play your Strokes cover songs on a live stage, I thought, well, that's pretty hip. Like, you're playing Strokes, you know, and doing a good job of it. That's got to be a hip point, right? Yeah, I guess I don't feel hip, but I, okay. I suppose on the scale of things. You know when I felt hip? When we did our uh, second to last or last uh, missionary shows with the light shows and everything, with the, with the video and everything. I felt hip because in spite of us wearing big old headphones on our heads, uh, man, it was like, I mean, what are, you, what are you talking about? Look at this. Like we got the full on... Uh, audiovisual spectacle going on here with some hip songs and two hip uh, uh, females on keyboards and a hip Hispanic on drums. I felt hip back then. I just... Uh, so, age 23, let's just say that's the date that I first realized I wasn't hip anymore. I, I think within minutes or hours, I had come to accept that I wasn't hip. <laughs> and that uh, to not accept that I wasn't hip is to deny reality. Uh, like I'm 48. I, I recognize I'm almost 50, which is basically almost 60, which is basically I'm almost dead. And uh, it, it's just, I just accept that, you know, like well, to, to deny Keith that. Keith Richards is like a billion years and he's hip. And, and also, you know, well, uh, <laughs> uh, well, he's hipper than I ever will be. And so I, I, at a certain point I accepted Look, I'm not hip. I might have been when I was younger. I don't know, but I'm definitely not now. And I just have to accept that. I just have to accept that our, you know, our society values youth and I've and I've lost it. And I I just have to really accept that. And so the question of like am I hip? Like I'm just like no, I'm fairly sure I'm not. I don't know if other people think I'm hip. Mm-hmm. But even if they did, they're probably wrong. <laughs> and and like I'm okay with that. Like I like being old. Like I, I'm starting to get some gray sure. hairs. I get wrinkles. Things are starting to slow down in my body. And if I fight it, then I'm just fighting reality. Sure. So I, I'm just like I'm 48. I'm old. I've I haven't been hip for most of my life. You know, I've now had more unhip years than than hip years, right? And 
uh, and that's okay. And I embrace it. And it's fine. You know what I mean? Right. There, there, it'd be great to be hip, I suppose. But there are so many other important things in life other than being hip. I'm the opposite than you. I'm going to dye my hair, get some operations for my face. My singular goal in my remaining life is going to be to get to a super hip status. I want every, every kid from 15 to 21 saying, OMG, that cat is hip. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because I am hip and you deserve it. (laughs) 